Okay, so here's actually something interesting because it relates to the podcast yesterday and also relates to a note that I made earlier regarding entropy uh, or the universe is constantly degrading into chaos or its na natural state um, is chaos and the human mind looking for order. <clears throat> so I'm watching once again one of the uh, episodes, I guess you'd say, of the seminar. It's the, uh, well, I guess you'd say the morning session of emptiness and the mind perceiving it with Dr. J.L. Garfield. I spoke yesterday about how I find he's a little awkward in some of his examples. Um, what we're going to see here is, and, and if I can maybe, um, if I can remember, because I've just gone and listened to it once, uh, and I've paused the live and I've gone back again. Um, so long story short, they're talking about the dependent arising, just like yesterday. They're, they're again, still stuck on this two different types of dependent arising. It's the imagined nature um, versus how it would be perceived once you realize your innate consummate nature. So we're talking about the three states. You're talking about your... Um, I guess your, your state where you just don't understand, don't see um, uh, the, the universe as being dependent arising and certainly not enlightened to your innate consummate nature. The second state is the dependent nature, which they're fixated on. Um, that's where you realize that um, life is uh, a series of... Um, births and deaths of all things. Uh, the, the, that's the idea of the, the uh, dependent arising, meaning anything we see is temporary, obviously, because of the impermanence of all things, um, but it, it comes about because of, right? So like I spoke yesterday, the apple um, is not some magical uh, creation. It came about from a series of the sun, the tree, the water, <clears throat> So, uh, yesterday he spoke about the elephant, the elephant being, um, say, a percept of the mind, in, in, um, a manifestation of the mind. In the room, you perceive it as real. In the first state, you absolutely perceive it as real. In the second state, when you start to realize dependent nature, what you're realizing is uh, what you perceive as real is just a manifestation or projection of your mind. Okay, what they're stuck on here is that second state, the thing that I mentioned yesterday, which I'm sure I'm having an awkward time explaining. But I think it simply goes to this. So the three states are, one, ignorance. You don't understand the difference, dependent arising or not. Two, you understand that life is dependent arising, duality. Three, consummate nature, where you completely awaken to your innate understanding of how the universe really works and this is where they're trapped and stuck it's understanding how dependent arising changes at that point because it's the same as things aren't it's not emptiness as in empty it doesn't exist right when we talk about mind only it's not that the mind is the only thing that exists it's that the mind is the center of all that is is certainly of what we perceive so this um this quandary they find themselves, this quagmire they find themselves stuck in, trapped in, um, is simply 
you go through these states. So first state, you're ignorant. You don't understand. You uh, awaken to the wisdom of dependent arising, duality of the universe, and, and the influence your mind has on, um, just like he says, you know, there is no self. It's not a matter of no self, per se. What we construct to be what we consider uh, ourselves um, our arms, our legs, our body, our height, our weight, our preferences, our likes, our dislikes, our, uh, the town we grew up in, what we do for a living, what we do when we're not working. All these things that we put together and construct as their self is no different than, like I mentioned, the apple. The apple is, you break it down, it's water, it's fiber, it's light, um, right? Transmuted into something different, really, like we are, right? But this is the argument and their confusion. So, you can perceive that uh, the mind is uh, manifesting these effects, these, these percepts, these manifestations in your reality. <clears throat> Better maybe stated that your reality is jaded, it is shaded, it is changed by your own bias, by your ego, by yourself, by this construct, by this delusion that we all carry. So you can go from the absolutely ignorant stage to understanding that dependent arising exists. The second state is you understand that the, 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 um, the object you're perceiving is not 100% how it is because of your biases, your jaded, your perception, and all this. So you can be in this greater awakened state, the second state, the dependent arising state, the state of understanding, of realizing, of comprehending that the universe is made up of these uh, aggregates. Um, there is no, you know, independent uh, origination. Uh, the confusion lies... When we go to this third state, this third state, the consummate nature, the nature that you understand that we're all deluded in our understanding and our relationship to the universe, right? Uh, and that's what changes the second state. Seems a little bit odd, but it's, it's, it really is no different than when they go on and talk here. And they talk about their misunderstanding that it changes your relation to the imagined nation, uh, nature, right? You no longer apply these biases, these imagined, this volition, as they like to say. So you no longer have this, yourself are no longer producing dependent arising, meaning you're not producing these affects in your own universe, your own reality. You're also not jading the, the, the actuality of the experience. So that obviously, immediately transforms the second state of dependent uh, arising or origination. You can see where things come from. Doesn't mean the things don't arise. Same as it's not no self. It's not, it, it, it's the idea of it's not yourself, bruv, okay? There is this aggregate that you consider yourself. There is this aggregate of truths that even as an awakened individual, we understand to be nothing but the arising of atoms and electrons and neutrons and protons. But once we reach that innate state of awakening, jhana, jhana, uh, tathagata, um, garba, um, this awakened state, 
where we not only see the dependent arising of all things, but our relationship to all things is transformed. Or, like I said earlier, transmuted, right? So think of it like the apple. If you take someone who was in the first state of being, they look at an apple and go, what a magical creation this is because they don't understand that the apple is created of the water and the sun and the flower and the tree. Once you teach this person the truth of this, the apple doesn't disappear, right? No, their relationship to the apple changes. So they understand the dependent arising of the apple itself. But at the same time, once you awaken someone to these truths of, we'll call it, say, physics, right? Simply that a tree converts light and water and all that jazz into what we love to eat and enjoy. The special magical flavor. Because arguably, if you want to go to science, the terpenes produced by uh, an apple tree, there are compounds produced by that apple tree that are only produced by that apple. So we're talking about all these, you know, arguably magical uh, circumstances that had to come together to produce this wonderful fruit that without which the light, the sun, the flower, the tree, the environment, without which, without which all these constituent parts wouldn't have come together to produce this wonderful thing that we consider an apple. Doesn't mean it itself is separate from all of its individual components that produced it, it just argues our relationship with the object changes. So we no longer see it as an individual, not unlike the self. So think of that. If you now look at an apple and you see, if say, for example, that the consummate nature would allow you to be able to look at an apple and know where it was grown, right? Kind of like a, a matrix or a, a minority report kind of idea where you're able to break the apple down into its constituent parts. The apple doesn't disappear. Your relationship changes. You change how you perceive it because you no longer apply any of these biases or any of, these, um, any of this volition. So you see it for truly what it is, but we're not saying that it disappears. So let's go on and see what they go on to say and see if my take might have been a little along the right line. And going back to the idea of the wood. Yeah. When in your written commentary, that one that was published, you said that the wood is the dependent nature. Yeah. So uh, if the wood vanishes, yeah, then the dependent nature vanishes? The wood doesn't vanish, the perception of the wood does um, in that reading. And that's, that, I think, is also important. You know, to really focus on that. Because the sense of perception here is the subject-object duality perception. That is, you stop seeing the wood as an object, just as you stop seeing the elephant as an object. Now, the dependent nature has got to be there, right? What we're talking about is the dependent nature, empty to be imagined, that's the concept, and that's why we have to have non-dual perception. But dualistic perception is the wood vanishes. Like I said before, like, thinking you need a certain car to go to work. With the dependent nature, is there the absence of the imaginary nature in the dependent nature is the constant? 
That's right. Yes, look at the dependent nature as dependent arising. We can just see dependent arising. So is it, can you not come at the... All right, so I just wanted to highlight. just said there so um, the absence of imagination is the consummate nature exactly right but he doesn't explain it and you'll go on and see that he doesn't explain it as well as could be if it were me I would simply say exactly the imagined nature disappears and what you're left with is the dependent arising or arguably the unaltered natural state of all things, all existence, right? Because again, we're talking about dependent arising of all things, everything. And right now she's asking about, well, the imagined nature, and here's where the confusion comes in. She's confusing something you might apply to a, a mug of tea. She's going to talk about a, a, making a cup of tea. So the difference between having a preference for a certain cup of tea or a certain way of doing it or making any any sort of uh, um, uh, volitious the birth of any additional thought besides the fact that it's just a mug of tea right? dependent nature but just seeing it as dependent arising um, and then seeing that we're doing more of an ultimate analysis where, where, where we're investigating the dependent nature to see whether it actually has the imagined nature in it. Then you'd be getting at the consummate, but we can just look at the dependent nature as dependent arising and not have to see. I'm not articulating no, it. I'm actually being very clear, and that's a very good point. And what you're doing, and the reason that it's so clear, is you're talking about how we would do this, say, from the standpoint of a Majamaka analysis. And I think that's exactly right. But this is trying to turn the perspective slightly so that here's what you can do in seeing the dependent nature. Um, remember what I said a moment ago. I'm going to give you the analogy and I'll come back to it. When I say, okay, I now know that I don't have a self. And who knows it? Me. And what do I know? This fact in front of me that I've got to right? There's something really right about that and something really, oh, shit, about that, right? You want to say, yep, no self was the right idea, but the way that I'm representing it reintroduces myself. And I'm not sure, this probably doesn't happen to you because you're just, you're so smart. It happens to me all the time, right, that I'd say, my God, I've reposited it, right? Just have thrown it out the front door and it's just snuck into the back door. Before I could even close the door, it snuck back in, right? Um, so, the same thing can be true about perception of the dependent nature. I say, I'm perceiving the dependent nature, which I know to be absent of subject-object duality. And what am I perceiving? This object of knowledge, the dependent nature and its absence of subject-object duality. That's my object of knowledge, and I'm the subject of that knowledge. And I say, oh! <laughs> See what I mean? Plain and simple, this goes back to the, the, the young lady's question. So what we're talking about here is the dependent nature without the imagined nature is the consummate nature. Or, so let's just go here. So the self without this applied uh, belief that you are an individual self is the true self. 
or lastly the su I threw the subject object duality out the front door by analysis the subject object duality is the exact same thing as the imagined nature okay imagined nature kind of confuses right because subject object duality um, doesn't sound like you're you know making stuff up imagined nature kind of does but all it's talking about is subject object duality I know it sounds silly but it's you like you said the self in relation to subject you in relation to everything object duality duality meaning there's me versus them. Again, this goes back to my belief of the Shunyata doctrine, that it is more so a oneness speaking to exactly this. Okay? So this goes right back to her question, yet he never openly says so. The subject-object duality is imagined nature. So, dependent arising, the second state, without... The imagined nature, or, as he says, the subject-object duality, right? Again, three states. The first state is this subject-object duality, your ignorance. The second state is where you realize the dependent arising. But the third state, consummate nature, actually transmutes the second state, right? So, like I said, the second state is... Dependent arising with you um, recognizing your subject-object duality. The third stage of consummate nature, or like I said, tathagatagarbha, or your clear under complete understanding, wisdom. Once you completely understand everything for what it really is, consummate nature, as they like to say in this seminar, once you reach the consummate nature, that transforms the dependent nature, the second state, Right? And how does it do that? It does that by removing the imagined nature. How does it remove the imagined nature? Because it changes, transmutes, the subject-object relationship. It is no longer a dualistic one, which immediately transforms the relationship and immediately changes the reality of that state completely. Right? We'll go on and listen. And it came back in the back door by cognitive reflex. Um, and what Vasubandhu is trying to do here is he's saying the trick isn't just perceiving the dependent nature. The trick is not perceiving it that way. And that's the subjective issue. And so this relates then back to your comment that you said that Geshe Tarpya said that if you don't have the imagination, you wouldn't even be able to make a cup of tea because without the appearance of subject-object duality, you wouldn't be able to have objects outside of you to be working with. Bingo. And that's where I argue. You absolutely can have a relationship with, like I say, subject and object. It's the subject-object duality that we want to cease. Same as the self. We're not looking to eliminate the self completely because as she says, right, same as if we didn't have a relationship with the cup of tea, we couldn't make a cup of tea. Exactly. If we didn't have a self, we wouldn't be able to work towards this goal, right? 
So the real truth is just like mind. It's a mind-only school often talked about as no mind, but it's not no mind. It's not mind-only in the sense that we think of it. It's mind as the center, as the main tool, which is why I like to say upaya as the epitome of uh, efficient means, of efficient uh, of, of tools to achieve this liberation. And in this case, all we're talking about is, is removing this imagined nature, right? And this is where they don't, they're proving they don't understand. So you don't need the imagined nature to have the relationship between subject and object. You actually have a cleaner, more pure relationship between the subject and object without the imagined nature or the subject-object duality. You remove that, you have an absolutely pure relationship between the subject and object. What would we call that? Hmm. Let's call it the consummate nature. Bingo. Uh, that's right. Exactly. And isn't this horrible? I mean, the, it's constantly bringing us back to the way that our instincts contradict our analysis. Um, and that just means you have to keep analyzing and keep analyzing and keep analyzing until the analysis becomes instinctive. And I think of this. And this is why I'm recording it. Okay, so I didn't record earlier. I guess that would be just too much. Um, but he actually got a phone call earlier where he said, Oh, geez, did I not turn that off? Let me turn that off. And as you can see from here, and he's going to mention it, um, he did not turn it off. So, let's just go back to what he just said here. Bingo. Bingo. Uh, that's right. Exactly. And isn't this horrible? I mean, the, it's constantly bringing us back to the way that our instincts contradict our analysis. Um, and that just means you have to keep analyzing and keep analyzing and keep analyzing until the analysis becomes instinctive. And that's why I'm recording this. Because if he'd take his own advice as a scholar of Buddhism and spend all this time studying Buddhism, then he would use this as an example of what we're talking about. Right? So... Just like he just said that you need to analyze your relationship with... So in this case, you're going to see that he's just going to fumble with the phone. And he's going to say, oh, well, I, you know, I guess I shouldn't have taken it off the wall. Exactly. What he should be saying is, oh, I didn't turn it off. I only pulled it off the wall and I never put my focus properly on the task at hand, which was to shut the phone off so I would be undisturbed. And worse yet... He doesn't even admit to that fact. So this is exactly what we're talking about. Because I think this is a perfect example of what we're talking about, right? So to remove the imagined nature is like him when he first thought. He did turn it off. He didn't. And then even worse, or another example, is when he goes, and you'll hear it, is he characterizes it as, oh, well, it's tough to turn the phone. No, it's not. It's tough to be focused to make sure you do the job at hand. Yes. It's tough to admit that we're all lazy. Yes. But is it tough to turn the ringer off on a phone? I don't think so. 
And I think of this. What is this going on? And I've completely unplugged it. What my phone is doing? I took it off of the wall and it's still plugged in. Um, I'm sorry. Um, but it just shows us how hard it is to uproot telephones and um, and um, these kind of in cognitive instincts. And Jay Rinpoche puts it very beautifully in Lekshe Nyingpo when he's talking about the two kinds of reification. He says, look, there are two kinds of reification. There's reification due to doing bad philosophy. You know, you have a philosophical theory about things that says that they really substantially exist. And there's instinctive or innate reification. So the first one is really easy to deal with. You can undo bad philosophy just by doing good philosophy. The second one is really hard. <laughs> that requires practice. And um, this just demonstrates to us how hard that practice is. Um, because it just so say, sneaks through the back door even before we close the front door. Um, I think that's profound. And I think I'll leave it there. Because he was 100% right, but didn't realize he was talking about himself, right? This practice is incredibly difficult because even when we're scholars and uh, we're giving a speech to a bunch of uh, nuns for advanced teaching regarding Yogacara, Madhimaka, even then we still don't see our own hypocrisy.